We're moving our way towards the Lord's table here. And um, one of the things we have done for some number of years is to just kind of be a little bit, a little bit more meditative than proclamational in our time in the Word. And um, hopefully, the goal being to prepare us for this very significant moment when we come before the Lord and, uh, and partake of, this, of His table. So, this happened a little bit ago. It wasn't this school year. It was sometime during the course of the last school year. Uh, a brother and a sister got on my bus, and as they got on, they both very quickly handed me something, a little treat. And the, the girl got on, handed me a little treat, and just went right on down, didn't say a thing. The boy got on, handed me this treat, and uh, I think what he said is something like, you're the best bus driver ever. And then he, and then he went down. But he was feeling kind of almost like embarrassed and shy to say it, okay? And, then, and clearly, he's never had Judy Hogberg as his bus driver because she was the best bus driver ever, okay? That's how, that I know to be true. But she's not driving anymore, so he couldn't have her as his bus driver. So it was so very kind, very cute of these two to just, there was no, it wasn't at a time of a season or any reason that was just completely spontaneous. Well, what made it even all the more adorable is when I take this out of the place where I just set it in the bus, and I look, and here at the very corner is the tiniest little hole so one little skittle could be wiggled out of there. <laughs> is that great? You know, it's like, I really want you to have this, but it's kind of hard to just let it all go. It was the tiniest little hole that was absolutely adorable. When a kid getting on a bus gives you a little treat like that, it is cute that he held a little something back. But when it happens as an affront to God, it's a different story entirely. We're in a series we've entitled Headwinds, and we're looking at those things that kind of slow, slow us down in our commitment, in our walk, and in the progress of the church, and, and we're looking at things from the book of Acts to help us understand those things. So far, they've been external. Like last week, we looked at chapters 3 to 5, and there was this external force coming from outside the church, from the Jewish leaders, who were looking to stop the message of the gospel. Well, if you were with us, you know we jumped over some things, and now I want to come back to something that we had jumped over. And because it's a table talk, you won't see it. If you choose to grab a Bible from in front of you, that's fine. But I'm asking you just to listen and, and uh, be aware of this. Acts chapter 4, picking up in verse 32 this is an experience that went on in the early church. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them 
and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, that introduction to this guy by the name of Barnabas is a very common technique of Luke in the book of Acts. Well, he'll introduce something and then come back to it a little bit later. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried, out her, carried her, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. It's an amazing account that is there for us. I'd like to just make one observation first, just about when we read our Bibles, and something that we might want to consider. We have, we have told for us everything we need in order to understand what takes place here. It's here. But I've, I think we need to also be aware, and I think it, to me it happens a lot relative to the question of conversation. We're not given complete and entire conversations. We're given what we need in order to gain what we want to learn. The reason that I say that is Ananias never says a thing but is, that we have recorded for us, but is accused of lying. So other things must have been said in some fashion that are not recorded for us here. So keep that in mind and just what, what, how would that inform us as we read our Bibles, as we seek to understand them? We still get the point. Whether or not we know exactly what the back and forth was between Ananias and Peter that caused Peter to bring the accusation that he did because he outright accused accused Ananias of lying. But he, wasn't, he didn't say just that, hey, man, don't, don't you lie to me, buddy. He said, no, it wasn't, but he didn't lie to me. He lied to the Holy Spirit, and that's the problem. That's where the breakdown came. And my understanding would be that, in, as he's saying, hey, when it was yours, did you, wasn't it yours to control? When you sold it, wasn't it yours to control? The fact even that they held back something wasn't the issue. It was the lying to the Holy Spirit that was the issue that Peter says he is accountable for. And then his wife comes three hours later and 
Peter, now Peter asked her, and we do hear what she says. Is this how much you sold it for? She says, yes, for so much. He says, okay, how have you conspired together? How is it you agreed together to lie? So she undergoes the same judgment that her husband did. Both of them wind up dead and buried that very day. And his, his, uh, his question to her was, in verse 9, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? He said to her husband, you've lied to the Spirit of God. But then he says to her, there's another element in that. You've tested the Spirit. You're trying to, you're kind of pushing things here in terms of understanding, well, is, is, this, is this one with whom these people are dealing? Is, are they, is it really that incredible? So the word carries with it to examine or to submit another to a test to learn the true nature or character. How is it you're testing the character of the Spirit of God? How is it that you've chosen to be in that place? And they both die. Now, that seems kind of rugged. Um, when I read this, I'm brought back, and you can go back and you can look for it in the Old Testament. When they first came out of Egypt, there was a particular incident that took place where Moses' leadership was challenged. And uh, there were the sons of Korah who were there and was like, who do you think you are to be telling us all these things? And so the authority that was Moses's was challenged. And by the time the account is done, these people have had the earth, those who challenge him, about 250-some people, they have the earth opened up, they fall in, the earth closes on top of them, and this serious judgment happens. And what I find interesting is that took place just as they were delivered shortly after being delivered out of Egypt and out of slavery. And God puts this public judgment in front of everyone to make it clear as to who's in charge here. And here we have in the birth of the church somebody who's kind of questioning, you know, really, by this examining, by this testing, you know, who is this one who, who you, who, with whom we are dealing? Who is this one? How, how important are they? How how you claim that, that these healings that are taking place are being done by the Spirit of God and, uh, uh, you know, in the power of Jesus Christ and all this stuff. Well, we maybe don't believe it so much. And it turns out God brings another serious judgment. I think each of these judgments sit at the beginning of a big movement. One, bringing the people out of Egypt. Two, now the birth of the church. And they sit there as a reminder to all of us of God's right to judge, of God's perfect right and just, uh, just being in himself that if he sees something that is unjust and worthy of judgment, he is able to and justified in doing, bringing immediate judgment right now. And he reminded the Jews in the wilderness and he reminded the church this is who we're dealing with. This elevates in our thinking, if we get it, that we don't take lightly who it is we gather to worship, who it is that we say is in charge of what goes on here, who it is we say that we serve, that this one is frightening in his being and in his justice. Now, he is also very long-suffering and patient. And he is waiting a final judgment, which will come. But he's awaiting that so that we might come to him in faith 
and that we might be born again, that we might enter into what we're going to be celebrating here in just a little bit. But he has made it clear that we are not wrestling with some small concept or idea or, uh, you know, something to be trifled with, for lack of a better term. This is the seriousness of the one with whom we do business. As we come to the Lord's table, what strikes me for something to reflect on here is the fact that Ananias was called out for not being honest before the Lord, for not being up front before the Lord. I think he could have said, if Peter said, hey, is this what you sold it for? Because I have to assume there was more conversation here. And he said, it's about 80%. He said, okay, thank you for the 80%. It would have been fine. But he tried to pass it off as all of it. Peter said, no, not happening. God desires honesty. So here's, here's just something that I'd like us to consider as we approach the Lord's table. Where is it? Where is it that God might, God, I have no clue, I have nothing about any of you individually that I have in mind. I'm only one to examine my own life as we take this time together. But where is it that God might speak to us and say, you're not really being honest about this, are you? You're kind of playing the church thing a little bit right here, aren't you? You're kind of making sure that you look good in front of everybody else, but we really know, you know. I know what reality is. I mean, it's kind of unfair for me to say this, perhaps, because this, I think, at least in Lori and my experience, happened more in um, more uh, when we had kids in the house. But it's hard to get kids out of the house all at one time. We get the whole family on time. We were, throughout the rest of the week, everybody's kind of got their own time frames. But on Sunday, we're trying to get there all at the same time. And there's not a one of us who doesn't know what it's like to come in here absolutely angry with our spouse. And get here, and it's like, oh, isn't everything wonderful? Yes, we love Jesus. Let's sing the songs. And you laugh because you've been there. And we all have. We all have. So here's the thought. What would it take today to become a little more honest with God? What's that thing where he wants to speak to us? And he's trying to minister into our life. He's trying to break down some strongholds in our life, and we've been resisting. We're like, yeah, Lord, I'd love to give you this part of my life, but over here, no, please don't go near that. Don't touch that one. Can I tell you what I've found? My, this is my experience, and some people don't see God in this way, and I feel I'm saddened for them. But here's what I have found. Our God, though righteous and able to bring justice right now on my sin, and he would be just in doing so, I would not be able to say to him, what would you do that for? He's so kind and gracious as he seeks to minister to his children. He could bring the judgment, but he's holding that off. He's given us a demonstration of how quick and severe, and he holds the right to judge us, but he's holding that off while we learn to come to him and trust him more and more and more. To trust him. To hand over these sinful things that are holding us back 
keeping us from moving forward. They're like a headwind, like a personal headwind, preventing us from entering into more fullness of the joy and blessing and goodness that he has for us. And I have found that at times, I need to have this much honesty. Lord, here's this thing, and you know, you know, I need to give it up. But Lord, I'm not there, and I'm really not ready to give it up. I really don't want to give it up. But would you, would you work in my life to make me willing to give it up? And just that much honesty, time and time again, I have seen God begin to do a work in me where now I can receive him working on that thing that I was holding to so carefully and, and I'm able to loosen my grip on it by just being honest with him. Here's where I'm convicted. Here's where I don't want to let go. Help me, Lord. Help me and he softens my grip. I trust that if there are places in each of our lives here today where we, where we know, man, I'm just holding on to that, that last bit of sin. By the way, it's not the last bit of sin. <laughs> okay. Because once we loosen up on this one, there's more waiting behind it. I promise. I know that because we're not glorified yet. But our God is so gracious and so kind so willing to work in us, so, so delighted to transform us into Christ-likeness, if we will allow him that. Could we use these moments of preparation? Could we please use these moments as we consider the elements? May we please use these moments to reflect upon, Lord, what is there you, you're trying to show me in my own life that I need to let you do a transforming work? And if I'm not there, admit that and ask him to change us. And see what God does. See the amazing things that he, that he can do for his children. Amen? Amen. We're going to come to the table now, and uh, the table is a delight. The Lord's table is a delight for all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who understand that his death, the, the breaking of his body, the pouring out of his blood on our behalf, uh, at the cross, it was for us that he might pay the penalty of our sin. And if you are a person who has entered into that by faith, you're welcome to join us in these elements. And one of the things we try and encourage is if that's never been true in your life, well, feel free to let the elements pass because that's honest. Feel free to let the elements pass. Nobody's going to sit in judgment on you. And think about that. Well, why haven't I? Why haven't I responded? What am I putting off? Maybe... We need to bring that before the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm not, I don't want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. I don't want to trust you. Well, maybe that's the point we start. And say, Lord, you've got to bring me to that place. Because he will. He desires to do that. Is that good? Amen.